I've toured with Gene and like not toured, but I've had a show with, with Kiss up in Fort McMurray 12, 15, 13 years ago. It was the biggest show ever up there. And I got to hang out with, with Gene and Paul for half a day here and there. I didn't spend the whole day with them, but they were around and I got to talk to them, sit on a couch and talk to them. And that was like, for me as a kid growing up in that era, I was yeah. like, oh, I'm not starstruck ever. Uh, yeah. Not against, with musical acts. You Even know, when they had the face paint and everything on? Paint, it was crazy though, seeing them. It was, but it was surreal going like, I'm. Do they do their own paint? Uh, no, yeah. I don't think, no. I don't know. I don't know. They're not, I'm not going backstage with Gene and that God. <laughs> I will say there was one, there was one time, like we were up in the arena in Fort McMurray and it's an outdoor show, but the arena was the green room. And, and, and I, just before they're going on, Gene and Paul come out and they're like, hey, Paul. And I was sitting on a little couch like that. And Gene walked up and he walked up and he's pretty tall anyways. And he's tall with his boots and his cod piece was about right there. And I know that's a little <laughs> off, but I'm like, <laughs> can you move that thing back? Please move. <laughs> Well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Efficient by Design podcast. Um, today, we have a very special guest, uh, along with our co-hosts, uh, Mark and Brad. And today, we have Paul Biro, um, who is a manager, promoter, and works with Sakamoto Agency. Um, yeah. And all kinds of country music stuff. So just as, ways, as a way of introduction, why don't you lay out what that means, what that agency is, what you do, um, just to fill our people we, in a little bit. We have a, an entertainment company called Sakamoto Agency that actually has kind of three other divisions underneath it, which is a, uh, uh, a management division which manages artists, and we manage three artists. Um, it has a, a radio promotions and DSP service company attached to it. Um, and then we have a record label that we're partnered with, uh, Warner Canada, Sakamoto Music. And then we have the primary bigger company, which is Sakamoto Agency, which we represent about 25 artists uh, exclusively in Canada and some areas around the world, other areas like the U.S. or Europe. And, and uh, we also, under Sakamoto Agency, we also program a number of large events in Canada. So we program a, a River and Roots Festival in Paris, Ontario that's opening this year. Um, and we do their fair. We, we program the main stage at the Pinocchio Stampede. So, you know, 10,000, 9,000 people a day. We, have, we do the main stage. We have four acts on the main stage. Hmm. Do the Swift Current Exhibition. There's a number of, of, of properties that we program uh, hmm. across the country as well, and more and more of that coming on. And then our name partner, Ron Sakamoto, has been a... a, a the, the, I would... I know, even though some people don't think they this is true he is the biggest independent country promoter of all time in canada mm -hmm. so he promotes and puts on shows and if you've seen you know reba mcintyre not too many years ago in penticton that was our tour or, mm -hmm. or ron's tour and jeff tanizawa's tour um uh if you've seen uh um you know old dominion that was our tour mm -hmm. long time all the keith urban tours were ron's tours mm -hmm. uh uh so he's the he's another piece of the business but they are kind of separate but the same yeah. and uh, again he's our name partner and been around the business for a long time so, so you work with a pile of high profile country musicians primarily in tours and 
um, it, and stuff primarily in Canada, but in yeah, the States we, as well? We, we focus primarily our business in Canada domestically, yeah. um, but it could, it does at times because we do so much buying, we bring a lot of American acts up to Canada for different places, even though we don't represent them. Hmm. But we represent Canadian artists. We think some of the best Canadian country artists in Canada, but it's not a huge roster either and a very much of a development roster. So, so you know, uh, multiple award-winning uh, group, Washboard Union, that I know you guys know some of those guys in there. Um, uh, Washboard, you know, we've worked with them. They're Canadian Country Music Group of the Year, multiple years. Mm. Uh, Roots Artist of the Year in Canada, multiple years. Uh, they're the only country band that ever won a Juno um, uh, for Breakthrough Band of the Year. Mm. Um, you know, we have Aaron Goodvin, who's one of our senior guys on the roster that we worked for, uh, with a long time, been living and writing songs in Nashville for 10-plus years. He has... Mm you know, a double platinum selling singles. He has gold records, uh, and Washboard does as well. And, uh, you know, he's had two number ones in Canada and, and you know, eight plus top tens. And so is Washboard. Washboard's at, you know, 10, I don't know, so many top tens is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, and then we have development acts like Haley Benedict that's coming up and our friends at Nice Horse and, and the Abrams, one of the greatest uh, live acts I've ever seen and <laughs> and my friend Chris Buck like there's a whole bunch I'm, I'm not I don't want to say all their names and but because they'd all be mad at me for the ones I don't mention <laughs> yeah, but, right. but they're all really talented so we've built up this roster of development acts over right. many years and and it and, it, and it, it's you know it's been pretty rewarding yeah and, and with amongst all those those big names and their accolades you have been um you've won all sorts of awards in this industry as well so list some of those just again to kind of like cement the credibility of what you've done and, and the agency as all of these things become more and more public it's hard to say because <laughs> like i've had a long i've been at this 30 years so i like to say that for the first 20 years i was nominated by the canadian country music uh, association 20 years in a row in some fashion <laughs> but it really i wasn't but but i was or a company that i worked for at the time was and may have won but i for 20 years Mm -hmm. It was in the running, I think, for almost every year for 20 years and never won anything, <laughs> right? Like the, like the Lu Susan Lucci of the Canadian Country Music <laughs> Awards. That's kind of an older joke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the time I won one, it, that joke was so old, no one remembered it. So I'm glad somebody <laughs> laughed. She just um, won. Didn't she yeah, just win one? I think she won one. <laughs> anyway, so, so uh, yeah, so I won four. We won. The agency has won four times consecutively agency of the year and i think that i've won and i a canadian country music agency of the year and i won for entertainment buyer or promoter of the year for canadian country music four times hmm. so I that's you personally five. yeah that and one then, i won okay. and then the other one is the complete agency right. that i operate and those are yeah. pretty recent right like haven't, like, haven't you been winning the last, the last like, five years yeah yeah five six years yeah we've really built uh we yeah. really yeah just recently and and uh, and one agency of the year this past year. Right. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting because like in our sleepy little town of Summerland here, how many people? Twelve thousand. Yeah. Something like that. Like yeah. That. It yeah. feels way smaller though because it's so spread out. Yeah. But in our little town, we've got like all these gems that we you just don't expect to be here. And as you and I have kind of rubbed shoulders over the last several years, and with my brother, um, you know, we we know you through through church, and our yeah. our kids uh, go to school together, and then we just kind of hear that you're into working with some musicians and different things. And then you get a little bit deeper, like, oh, no, this is like, you've got a really legit um, career working with high profile musicians and these big tours and everything, which is pretty fascinating. So 
like just for for context with our kids um your son will and my, my our two oldest kids my my daughter Janae they were the two leads in the high school musical yeah. that they did their last performance this last Saturday their grade 12 yeah. final thing so that was that was pretty awesome to watch and they had some some stage kisses even oh <laughs> that yeah was... that was like the talk around the house I'll tell you what yeah it was crazy and they were both they both did so good and it's yeah. you know they grew up together right and they grew mm -hmm. up in our church that we go to and you know I'm a Christian guy and 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 uh and I really feel like what I've done for work for 30 years has actually been my mission field. Mm. You know, and I try to act differently in the business and it may end up being the thing that kills me, mm. like in many ways. But, but like I've tried to, but it's really hard because you're dealing with people's lives and your own family's lives and other people's lives. And, and so to act in a Christian way is really easy to say on a good day, but on a really challenging day, how do you conduct yourself? And I fall short every single day, but I'm struggling for it. Mm -hmm. So our kids, back to our kids, yeah, they grew up together. So to see them do that and go to that, I'm so emotional. Yeah. I got to be careful how much we <laughs> talk about it. I'll start crying. Because like, I'm a lot older than you and my oldest is the same, same age, age yeah. as Danae. And, uh, 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 you know, it's like to think about doing the last, this is his last high school theater performance. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. This is his last, you know, time he's going to be with us for a you know, on, on, you know, for a holiday because he's going away to university and mm -hmm. like, you know, these, he's going to be back, of course, but you start thinking yeah. of these things. So. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I was, I was there after that performance for striking the set and I helped take all yeah. the stuff apart and there with all the, all the high school kids there during that time. And like the theater kids, it is just a crying fest. It was unreal. However, oh, yeah. I have to say like Will was, was pretty solid. There was a lot of other, other uh, actors that were just a hot mess. <laughs> and yeah, what he, was he like when you got home? Like, yeah. was he, he was very, he was very good. He was good. Yeah. yeah. He was good, but he was also like open to saying, yeah, the cast is pretty sad yeah. and there's yeah. some sadness about this. And we yeah. talked to him about it, yeah. made sure he was with some yeah. friends the next day and yeah. stuff like that. But it was a big thing, but yeah. he was good. He was good. He felt he did a pretty good job. Yeah. You know? So they did the, they did the musical Newsies, um, set in what era was that in the thirties or something? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Somewhere in there. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, Lee, um, Will had the, the lead role and yet ton of acting and dancing and singing and, and yet Danae had the, the lead role. So that was, that was awesome. Super talented too. Like as soon yeah. as he started with his like New York yeah. accent, I was oh, like, yeah. dude, you got this dialed. Like <laughs> it, it was, was so good. The way he's, he carried himself, the, like he, he's a talented boy. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I would say all around Will's, I, I'm new to town. So yeah. it's like mm -hmm. coming in, meeting Will. I'm like, this, who is this guy? Yeah. He's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and then you have some music in your family, um, primarily your wife. Is yeah. That correct? Do you um, have much music? No, I like so. So in my family, my my family culture, like pre my present, like my own direct family right now, but was really into art and music. And you know, my my brothers and sisters, they were in the school plays, and I was in some drama, but I couldn't sing. But they could all sing. And then music in that era, too, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s was really big. You heard it on the radio, radio people, like not your phone. Yeah. You know, you turned on your radio and you're committed to it and you waited for the albums to come out. And it was just a really big thing. So music and art. And my mom was into some art stuff. She had a couple ceramic shops, art and music, you know, and, you know, we farm family were part of our lives and, and just became very important to us. So for me 
music was really a passion for me. And my stepfather loved country music, Morris Shippett. Mm. He just loved country music. And we would work in the farm, and he would put in his old truck, Merle Haggard, eight-track tapes, eight-track tapes, go look that up, um, uh, eight-track tapes, and he would like, and Merle Haggard and, and Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley and Marty Robbins, and I just fell in love with the, with the mm. content of this music. And, it, and I used to always say, and I haven't said it, said it for years, it wasn't about how this music made me, uh, how it sounded, it was how it made me feel that mattered. Mm. And that, what, that, that lyrical content is what drew me to country. And then my wife, Sonia, like fast forward of 150 years because I got married very late. I wasted a lot of time just, you know, working in this business. It's all encompassing. But like Sonia's an a, a amazing singer, soprano, played with you guys lots. Mm -hmm. When yep. you guys played at church, she's been a worship leader for 20 plus years. She's been on lots of records. Her voice is, you know, some backup on records. She's, uh, she's backed up some pretty substantial artists you know she had an opportunity to sing with celine dion and at that saddle dome oh, with a group of her girlfriends and and they were the you know the featured kind of local singers and hmm. and you know she's been around a lot so for us and and i'm a creative artist i'm a crappy painter and drawer and <laughs> i have a big mural thing in my house that i do and and like uh so art is just really important to us and 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 why it's really important to me kind of ties back to my faith a bit it really is about ongoing creation. I believe that sincere art, when 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 created properly by a human being, is ongoing creation of God, mm. and it's the best of us as human beings. Like mm. that's what I think about, and so that's what really tied me to this thing. And I really feel, and Sonia gets sick when I say it, but because she's heard it for so many years, I really feel called to um, to to encourage the creative spirit. So that's a big part about what I do. So mm. around about like our family's very musical and both of my boys, Kingston and William has certainly uh, um, uh, inherited their mother's voices. Like mm. King's actually quite a good singer. He doesn't like singing in front of people. Yeah. I haven't heard him sing, but I, I've, he's quite the piano player too, isn't he? No, he doesn't play as much as Willie. Willie, no, plays Willie piano was the more, piano guy, but yeah, yeah. And King's got a little rap thing. He does. He's got oh. a whole kind of not another thing, but so we're pretty engaged and music yeah. is a big thing around our house for yeah. sure. Cool. Um, so to tie this back to the trades industry a little bit, I mean, music on the job site is a, is a huge, huge thing. And and amongst the trades, um, like I would have to say through my building career, like a radio or someone's playlist was always, always going on the, on the job site. Um, Brad and I having worked together for so many years and having grown up with a lot of music in our past, we, the style of music that we like isn't so mainstream to yeah. probably most tradesmen. I mean, you know, I grew up listening to old like 50s rock and roll tapes as a kid, mixtapes. Um, and got into blues and funk and jazz, and mm -hmm. we both played in, in jazz band stuff, and we played music together, um, a lot of improv. So we actually probably taken more of a liking to country in the recent few years. Yeah. Um, but on the job site for most of my career, um, I would say that what we heard all the time from other other crews and what my employees wanted to have on was always country country radio that was like always the always the case so there's there is this connection to this kind of blue collar hardworking uh background um with country music and the trades um was that would you say that's kind of been your experience yeah uh, i would say through so. the years of what we listened to yeah i think there's something too about 
country music, like when country music is playing on the job site, for some reason, guys feel more comfortable to sing to the country music as opposed to some, you know, even rock song or like that. If it's country, they'll just let loose and start singing. There's something about the country music that just hardly, gets you singing. They hardly ever break out to Beyonce. No. <laughs> break it out. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's such relatable content. Oh. Yeah. I, I think that's totally it. And like country music is based in a blue collar, working, poor background. It comes from you know, the South and, and so, so many deep roots and, and, uh, and, and comes from a rural living, you know, in Canada, it's more like it comes from the rural lifestyle. And, and then, the, but those um, lyrical uh, content and lyrical stories of country music has always translated to everyone. Mm -hmm. It translates outside of the blue collar world, but, but we see it all the time. Like, like most of our guys that that come out like most of the people that come out to lots of our shows will be working people and mm -hmm. and they come out and they love country and that's what they love and and they've been doing it and so so we get to know lots of them and I come from a blue collar background I mean my dad was a farmer here in the valley orchardist and a trucker and I you know had my class one license as soon as I could and and paid for my university education or my college education with you know oil patch trucking money and mm -hmm. you know uh bought my way back and forth to the north for a few years before I had enough money to go back to school. And, and so, so those things, that's why I'm in country music, because I come from that blue-collar culture, mm -hmm. that it was so important. And those songs, when, you know, songs about whatever, um, I'm a worried man from Johnny Cash, when my dad's worrying about the cherries being frozen out, those things, mm -hmm. those were part of our lives, you know. And mm -hmm. so, so that's why I think working folks and guys on construction sites, I think that's why they're drawn to it, mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't hurt that some of those songs too are the flip side of it, they're fun, you know, they're, whether it was, you know, Marty Robbins singing about a party song back in the day or whether it's, you know, Zach or one of the new, you know, huge artists of today singing about a party song, you know, it's mm -hmm. also talking about Friday nights and. George Strait talking about, you know, or Chris Ledoux talking about putting on his white shirt and going into the dance in town. Like these things, when you're yeah. a working man and it's Friday night, these things are yeah. a working woman, a working yeah. person, yeah. you yeah. know, like in this modern era, like these things, that's why country music is part of that culture, yeah. I think. It's, it's so, so relatable, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so relatable in that, like you hear that song and you're like, this, this guy knows me. This guy's talking about my yeah. thing, mm -hmm. my upbringing. You know, because again, there's so many other genres that, and there is a lot of guys, especially young guys that come out and they have their, their gangster rap going and their whatever like that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and fair enough. I like, I love some of that stuff as well, Yeah. but same. it's hard to relate sometimes to yeah. a lot of these other things. And then you get some good old country song that's just singing your tune, yeah. you yeah, know, man. it's like, Hey, that's me on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about how hard it is because it is hard. You're looking forward to the weekend. You're dealing with yeah. the realities of life and parents and a relationship. Those are real world, real world experiences for, for tradespeople, you know, and not mm -hmm. that that's not true for people in other industries and other disciplines, but it's, it's so true 99% of the time for the, the tradespeople. Music that. of any kind moves each of us in its different way mm -hmm. and art moves us all. Country music just seems to really talk to that piece of our soul that is about joy and struggle at the same time and the human existence, mm -hmm. right? It really digs into it. It doesn't, it's not just about this 
feeling that it might give you because of sonically how it sounds. It's mm -hmm. the feeling that those lyrics give you, and that's why I think, yeah, you know, yeah. where can people love it, right? Yeah. So what did you uh, what did you go to school for? You talked about business, just business. Okay. Yeah, business, and with a major in marketing and kind of a, a minor in management. And then I took some other courses, post secondary courses in psychology and that sort of thing. Hmm. So. Just the way people think about stuff and consumer behavior and organizational behavior. These are things that are really exciting to me as well as the music industry. Yeah. And developing talent. And then so what were like preceding kind of careers and jobs and endeavors before you got into oh, music industry? Like I actually did quite a bit, but I did it when I was fairly young because I moved out. You know, I did all the regular stuff. I worked at a garage. I worked for a, a seismic company in Alberta. And then I worked for another trucking company out there driving truck for oil field stuff and and uh, I had a class one when I was pretty young, so I drove gravel trucks and, and, uh, and, and uh, um, you know, all kinds of things. I, I worked on the tools a bit. I mm -hmm. worked for some construction stuff. I sold building supplies when I was first out of college. I sold uh, uh, commercial building supplies. So, you know, you go around and see the builders and mm -hmm. talk to them and all of that. So, you know, uh, so all kinds of things like that. And, 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 and I sold radio advertising. Um, uh, when I started and, and then, and then as that changed, once I was in radio, then I kind of, I, I had, you know, I had understood how a song could go to radio and then hmm. friends of mine asked me if I could help them. And then that's kind of where it started. And then it oh. went it on, went on from there. Okay. But, that was my next question. Yeah. How did you, how did that transition start? So, so, those... so when I went back to school, I was able to get a job at a radio station and the radio is selling radio advertising and it was a country station. And I really loved I really, I, I, I got to learn a lot about the business, the music industry around that. And I had already gone to school. I had been going to school while I was taken and then already gone to school. And, and I just really understood what, what it needed to happen to how a song would chart on the radio. Then I happened to have some friends who were country music fans. And I had left, the, I had left sales and I was up driving truck in Whistler, uh, British Columbia, taking a little time off of marketing jobs and that sort of thing just kind of getting back to my roots. And I had some friends who had a band and they were like, hey, could you help us a bit? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I would take part of the winters off. And I went out there and, you know, I'm pretty young. I don't know exactly how old, but, you know, it was, it was 30 years ago, 30-ish years ago. And, and they were like, hey, could you help us with this? And I was like, oh, sure, okay, I can show you how to take the radio. And then we did all kinds of crazy stuff to do that. And then it just, they quit at some point. And I just never did. I just kept hmm. going. And then it all rolled from there. And it's been like, like on the business side, it's been, man, it's like, and I'm, you know, I always say a good day for me in business is my family living indoors. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just the way it goes. So, but wow. it's, uh, it's, so, uh, so what was the, the transition or your original interaction with Sakamoto agency? Like, well, when I, the first day I got into the business, I'm talking the first day, some friends of mine said, hey, if you're going to help us, here's some information. And they gave me a book that had some, some names in it of people in the industry. And I did a little bit of research and you couldn't do research on the internet back then, right? right? I was yeah. going to the libraries. I was talking to a lot of people I had met in the business, you know, and, and just phoning people. And I had this directory and I'm phoning different people. I realized that Ron was one of the biggest promoters for independent country music in the world at the time and, and in, in Canada for country. And I was in country and I had this little country band. I wanted to get on one of his tours. Hmm. So he was like literally probably my third call in the business. 
and he took my call. No way. <laughs> which he still does today, and I, I try to model what he's done, but I, I, I fall short of how he treats people. He's so good. And he called me back, and then that was it. But, like, I, I remember about three, five years later, we're starting to do some regular business together, and I'm at another company that I'm supposedly a partner at. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and like, uh, I said to him, Hey, you know, if you ever need some help, like I'm around and I'd, I'd love to work with you. And he's like, Oh, Paulie, uh, you know, I got help and I don't need anybody right now, but you're a good little fella. And nice. Thanks very much. <laughs> he was very kind. He was way more kinder than that. And, uh, but fast forward 20 years and we ended up being partners together hmm. because we had had this relationship and then it just came up that. I was, we were both transitioning from some other business we had and it just happened and he called me and I called him and well, actually I think his, uh, his right-hand man, who's one of my dearest friends, Jeff Tanizawa called me and Jeff said, Hey, Ron wants to talk to you. I know that you're kind of open right now for some ideas and, and then it kind of went on from there and then we just started chatting and, mm -hmm. and then now 10 years, 11 years forward, this is where we're at today. Mm -hmm. So just really briefly, cause I'm curious, what was... Just really briefly, what was Ron's entry into doing what he does? Oh, I, it's a really long story. He's yeah. a he's a Japanese uh, gentleman uh, from Alberta. His family was put into internment camps, and uh, I, you know, their family was moved out of the Vancouver area, and uh, a kind of a really tragic story, and then a, the most inspirational story. And you know, he just grew up in southern. Alberta and country music was there and he mm. loved country music and he could sing and yodel and I understand he had a really? little bit of a band oh That's yeah awesome. and he is still if you can get him to do it he can still yodel and it's the awesome. most amazing thing to see we gotta see. get him on the podcast oh you have oh if you got him on the podcast let me tell you the numbers will go up um you got the wrong guy on here um anyways he's uh and and then he was uh uh and then he just kind of went after it and he opened a nightclub when he was like a teenager that was for teenage kids and then it just rolled from there and never gave up and like he just like an inspiration like an inspiration like incredible guy that's so cool it's cool yeah. that you say that like he's such a genuine nice kind person to go through that type of adversity you could see someone coming out of that just rough ruthless and cutthroat and to have someone that comes out of that experience is such a what you know what you say is such a well, great person i will say this like ron doesn't put up with like ron he, he's a pretty serious guy yeah, yeah. at the same time, but he's yeah. really generous and really yeah. sweet too, mm -hmm. but he's no dummy. Like he oh, knows yeah. how to do business, mm -hmm. right? So like mm -hmm. I never, yeah. you, you know, and, and just been a great mentor and partner for me and a friend, and, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I think there's some universal stuff though too in what you were saying that, you know, you didn't, like there's some unsaid things there where he noticed you probably way early on and that your consistency, your character you know the things over the years that then cause him to come back to say call paul you know that you, like when you said that his right hand man called you and said hey you're open to some things and then you end up being partners together you know i know you said that quickly and lightly but then the, in the back of my head i'm like oh man that speaks so loudly to when everyone asks like how did somebody get to the point where they're managing you know or like delivering artists like tom petty or whatever right like how do you get to that point and it's like, oh, it's just being a good person. It's just being a man of your word, 
It's picking up the phone, being kind. You talking about him being such a kind person and not having to take your call when you were trying to do the band thing. And then all the way to the point where he, you become partners together in this, in, you know. Oh, it just, yeah, you never really know what's going to go on. And I think that you're right. I, I hope that you're right about some of the things that you say. I, I'm not sure that's the way my business works. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure that's how I guess there's some cutthroat say, stuff too, right? Oh, in the yeah, business. very so you much. Can't, yeah. But, but, but they notice when someone shows up in a cutthroat industry and they're, they're genuine, it, that pierces like a knife, like that yeah. pierces through. And I've noticed it in like the film industry where they just know you can tell the difference, but you still need to not be pushed around. You can't be yeah. pushed around. Like, I mean, I think there's a bit of that and you can be pushed around. You just got to push back at the right yeah, yeah. time and, yeah, yeah. and know when it matters or doesn't matter. Like, but, but I really feel like for me personally, I wanted to live my life this way. So people can question like, what is success and where are you at? But I wanted to live my life and do business this way. And if I can't do it the way I want to do it in an ethical and caring manner for people, then I just won't do it. Mm -hmm. I just won't do it. Yeah. Like, and so at this age, and so that's really interesting for me. But that you're totally right. The only reason for me, I'm not going to say for everyone, but for me, the way that I've just been like, like, I, I mean, I, Brad and I touched on it in a minute. I physically have died in this business twice. Had two, I had a quadruple bypass surgery at 30 something. No way. Like, you know, and, and, and I, but I also is like, 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 like I've gone through lots of changes and I'm still here and I consistently, I will, I will do business today for a baby artist and for a way bigger artist all today. And I'll just keep doing it. Cause that's, I know nothing else. Like I just, uh, I don't have a choice. And so that consistency and a consistent way in doing business has hap is, is what, why I've been able to feed my family and keep doing something that I really, really love to do every single day, even on the bad days, yeah. even on a hard day. I, I want to do this. This mm -hmm. is what I do. I find it fascinating that, well, your questioning of Mark as he's kind of laying out, you know, the the multiple years of consistency of how you were operating and then how Ron eventually then maybe saw that. And then you became someone that rose to the surface as someone he'd want to partner with and kind of giving credit to your consistency over the years as being why maybe Ron looked to you and thought, I think I know who this person's like, good person to partner with. And for you to respond, <clears throat> maybe, I'm not sure, maybe that's, that's part of it. And a few things come to mind to me in regards to like building business and re reputation um, that have been true for me over the years, for sure, that are hard things, which are basically like trying to be a good steward of the situations I find myself in, the opportunities that I'm presented with, and not burning bridges. Yeah. Um, in business, I have found, you know, it's so, so common in the trades, and I'm sure it's the same in, in all these other endeavors as well, that there are a lot of egos, there's a lot of insecurity, and they are coped with and dealt with by people, I think, over posturing and kind of these, I mean, there's some really crude ways that it's said on a job site where people measure against one another. Mm -hmm. They're trying to push each other around and they're criticizing the other trades and it's always somebody else's fault. And they're quick to pass judgment on somebody and, and piss somebody off. And they just burn bridges left, right, and center. Um, and you never know what implication that's going to have down the road. You don't know what yeah. doors you've just closed, what opportunities you've removed yourself from by your interactions on a daily basis with the people that you're surrounded with. Um, as a 
as a point of example, there was an employee that I had for a couple of years, um, a guy from town. So we're, you know, we're in Summerland here. Penticton is a town just south of us. That's another fairly small, small place. And I had a guy working for me. We had a crew of about 12 guys. We were working on this great big multi-hundred, I think it was like 230 lot subdivision. There's about a hundred tradesmen on the property at any, on any, any given day. So it's probably three or four framing crews, you know, multiple plumbing, roofing, all these different crews. So I had this one employee, local guy from Penticton, and uh, been with me for a couple of years. He was a bit of a, you could tell he had some edges to him. He was somewhat entitled and a bit of a hard case to work with. And payday came, things were totally fine. We had like weekly uh, meetings with the staff, make sure things are happy and that, you know, everything's all at peace and, and things are good. I always had an open door policy with my employees. If there's ever, ever issues, come and talk to me. I want to address things at the front end of things. And uh, so payday comes around. And so coffee time, I'm handing out checks, everybody. Okay, have the checks. Great, thanks, thanks, thanks. Guys go to their vehicles to grab their, their snack or coffee or whatever, and we finish coffee break and we come back to work. Where's so-and-so? I don't know. Oh, I, I saw him got in his car. I went down to the corner store to grab a snack or something. Like, <clears throat> oh, well, maybe he got hung up or well, wait a minute. 20 minutes goes by, he doesn't, hasn't come back. I'm like, what? what is going on? And so I call him. And I'm like, hey, uh, you coming back? He's like, nope, no, I quit. Sorry, you're done? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm finished. So you, you quit right now. No discussion, no farewell, no nothing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm finished. I'm, I'm going to go work somewhere else. Okay, so you worked this week. Your pay today was for the previous two weeks. So you're going to have to come and get your check for this week. Yeah, just put it in the mail. No, you can come and pick it up from me <laughs> next payday, actually. And I was just dumbfounded that here's this local guy that is willing to just shoot himself in the foot and yeah. everyone in the area knows knows me and my crew we have this great reputation i'm known to have great employees and 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 this is how he's going to part ways so the day came that he was uh going to get his his check his final check and for whatever reason instead of him coming to the site um he convinced me or for i had to meet with him in person and near where he lived in town so i had to walk up to him and i'm like i'm doing this face to face i'm not going to put this in the mail and so I walk up to this guy. I'm like, okay, here's your check. He's like, thanks. And he's going to just walk away. I'm like, just a little parting piece of wisdom. I feel like I just need to share. Like, I would not recommend you uh, part ways in any future endeavors with employment in this manner. It's not doing yourself any favors. Yeah. And he just lit me off and was a total prick. Made me so angry. And I'm like, so this is how you're going to leave this situation. This is the reputation that you're going to cement. You're going to build bridges, piss people off, piss in your own backyard. Yeah. Like I was just dumbfounded. I mean, in, so. in, in my defense, I, I <laughs> you, you could have just put it in the mail and we would have been fine. Yeah, I mean. been fine. Uh, so, I mean, there's a, a very, very small scenario, you know, that is going to be true in your guys' oh, world yeah. as well. And yeah. you, you never know the interactions that you have with someone at some point in time, what that, how that could come back to you down the road. I, I think you're totally right. And mm. resilience is everything. Mm. Like resilience is everything and not burning bridges. We have a very small industry actually in Canada and, and translate into North America, especially if you, if you take it down from the bigger music industry and take it down to uh, uh, the country music industry. 
It's a very small business. You can't burn bridges. I've really tried not to burn bridges over years. And like, and I'm talking, like, it's easy. And somebody, or like, like, it's easy to burn a bridge. Somebody pisses and you're you justi- off. You're justified and, and in And you're doing justified. It. And it's easy to do. Yeah. In a really justified way, you can say, I'm never doing it. But I've never done that. I've gone, okay, we're parting ways. This is not comfortable and we're not getting along. And I understand who you are. And I'm not going to carry on doing business with you in that fashion any longer. But, that, but, but I've gone out of my way not to burn bridges. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't help it right now. And, mm-hmm. But one thing I will say this is I've got a person out there, and I can't believe it. I know you guys right there, and you know some people who know me who are listening are probably like, what? I've got somebody out there who's not very happy with me today. <laughs> like of something that happened kind of on a bigger scale, not really big, nobody lost any money or anything, but it had a, not a good transition with me, and I'll take my responsibility for it. But what that person doesn't know, and they totally burned the bridge with me, mm. 100%, mm. right? But what that person doesn't know and I'm not looking for anything out of it. I'm thoughtful to go, I'm going to mend that bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let that stand. Mm-hmm. And it won't stand because I have had worse. I've had people burn other bridges with me, mm-hmm. but I've taken that stand and it's paid off. And it's yep. again, I can, I can phone even my biggest competitors in the country. I can phone them. Nobody will be like everyone, will, almost everyone will get it and they'll take a call from me and, we can collaborate on things and work together on things. And yeah, burning bridges is any any part of your life doesn't make any sense. No. There's times when you need to step away and not yeah. Oh, yeah. be part of a yeah. situation for sure. Yeah. The absolutely. biggest thing in business that I've probably learned is like what deals not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm still learning that today. Yeah. I'm still learning it today. Yeah. That's that's huge because it's it's not so much that you just not burn a bridge when you could. It's that when you technically feel like you're sh- you should and you're justified in it and it would feel great. It would feel great. Give a <laughs> little. Uh, I had a guy who uh, I used to work with that, that I hired a long time ago that used to say, sometimes you just got to give a little back. <laughs> and I don't really feel that way, but it'd feel good. It would, it would feel good. But in the long run, it's doing nobody any good. It's building no. resentment um, and just bolstering your own sense of pride and arrogance and it's belittling somebody else and and i've said that before on the podcast that you know as much as it i still might not agree anything that somebody else does says or thinks to them it makes sense yeah no one's being no one's being ridiculous on purpose and thinking in their own head that i'm being totally um disrespectful and that i'm in the wrong and i know what i'm doing it anyway like that's very rarely ever someone's position. They're justified in their own mind with the position that they're taking. So I have to, as much as I might not agree, I still have to acknowledge the reality that they are a valuable, valuable person that has their perspective and they're entitled to it. I might not agree with it, but I still have to respect that. Um, so yeah, you've got to work really, really hard not to burn bridges. And in the trades in particular, where it's so cause and effect, and you've got like, you know, like I think of on the job sites for us, when we've built this, you know, I, I was very, very picky through our structures to like, before I built anything, I want to see the uh, structural plans. I want to see the footing foundation. I want to see the floor package. I want to see the beam spans. I want to see the truss layout, my point loads, so that I can, from the ground up, build a structure. By the time I put the roof on, it is, 
it's not that there weren't errors along the way, but I've basically built it as strategically as possible. So I've got a great finished product with all the point loads and structures done. We've made it efficient, built it efficiently. And then a sub trade comes through, doesn't ask a, ask a question and chops through my point loads and butchers my work and makes a complete mess of it. Well, I'm very justified in that moment to be like, screw you. <laughs> you yeah. have made so much work for me. And, you know, instead to take a posture of, okay, this, this is a problem. We have to deal with it. There's going to be some expense incurred, but let's see what we can learn from this. If we're going to work together in the future, here's how that needs to happen. Before you chop these holes, before you make this assumption, call me. I'm, I'm close by. We can, I can zip by the site. We can talk about it. We can troubleshoot. I'll actually try to include you earlier on in the, in the building of the building so that I can actually build the suit how you want to do this. We can yeah. collaborate. And when you start to build a reputation of being someone who's proactive and working with the subtrades, you end up with this harmonious build compared to one where it's just every single trade hating each other and having reason to just slander everybody to build their own sense of self-worth in a false manner. Like it's, yeah. it's such a, a childish position that, that is taken <clears throat> on the job site so often. Um, and it's so much of it is out of insecurity. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's oh, a and I think that that's like, we're fraught with egos and insecurities and, and uh, all of that in our industry, you know, as mm -hmm. well. And that talented, you know, that talented person, but not just that talented artist, like there's as much industry egos as not right. Mm -hmm. And people want to burn those bridges, but it's such a small community. And I have so many friends who are tradespeople, and, you know, so many of the artists that we work with, like they came from their, their carpenters and, you know, some of the biggest country artists in Canada were carpenters and welders and, you know, electricians and all kinds of things. So I have lots of friends that come from that, but there is that, like that place where people will just, you know, want to blow it up and it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And ego is a hard thing to manage. Like you got to have, to do what I do, I have a bit of an ego and I try to keep it under wraps, but you have to, because like people are going to like beat the crap out of you every day. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a bit of like, oh, I actually believe in this, I believe in what I can do and here's my place in it, you, you'll get ran over. Yeah, right. for sure. So there's this close balance to it. Right? You talk about it, the even the, the community being very small um, in Canada. What, like, so what does that look like as far as the actual bigger company? Is it the kind of thing where like there's uh, you and Ron and a few employees or is there, is there like hundreds of employees or do you guys no. contract all we, these other, like when you're doing a big company uh, thing, you know, you're going to have to have, you know, the lighting guys and the, you know, oh. whether it's like, how does that work as a whole? Well, I mean, for our business, it's pretty simple. There's, there's like, uh, we have four employees plus Sonia and I, my wife works in the company. And then my partner, Jeff has two people and yeah. him, and then Ron has some other people, but it's not, it's like the amount of work that we're doing with a record label, mm -hmm. a radio promotions business, an agency, mm -hmm. and a management company is outrageous for mm -hmm. basically kind of like eight of us. Yeah. And then one of our partners uh, at a senior level, you know, that's kind of the uh, co-chairs our board of directors, essentially, we don't call it that, but that's exactly, Ken Wagner, like, and then he's, he's with us on strategies and that sort of stuff. And he's a He's a partner of ours and just an incredible uh, businessman and been a real blessing for me to know him. So, so it's a trickle uh, yeah. down kind so of it's like, kinda, but it's very horizontal. We all have jobs. They're yep. all experts and we all get at her and get doing it. And it's all virtual. 
We have one guy that contracts with us out of Europe, uh, Franck, that handles our business in Europe. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, but it's all virtual, and we, and we talk every day, and, or almost every day. When I say that, there's probably a few of the people that work under me that are laughing right now and going, yeah, sure we do. <laughs> um, uh, well, but there's something that people don't understand like in your industry and in like some of the stuff that I do as well, is that on any given project, you, you know how to spin up vendors. So when you spin up a vendor on a on a tour or on stuff, yeah. like you don't employ, it's like a GC. A GC is like, I'm going to build a, a whole, or a developer, I'm going to build a whole complex, right? And people are like, well, how do you hire all those people? It could be like four people in an office it. and then they fire this up and they get like the Luke Reamers of the world yeah. and all these other companies. They just know how to bring them all together. Mm. So when you do a stage tour, like stadium uh, tour, you have production companies. Oh, yeah. You we, hire production companies yeah. in every city okay. and that production company will show up with 150 people. Right. And that yeah. that's, so when they look at Paul or they look at some of these projects, they're like, how do you... Do well, this and, that's, does, and that's and what happens. they're trying to piece them together, but it's vendors. And, and there's it's, like a line item of everything that you need, and we know it so well. And especially on the other side of my business, like on the other side of the business with the Arena Touring, like with Jeff Tanzawa, like Tanny's been doing this as long as I have. He knows every little thing. Yeah. He knows every arena and stadium in Canada and probably most of North America. He knows every, like, rigor that you need for the shows and how it's got to work and how it goes together and and so the, the yeah you subcontract all that mm -hmm. but it's like a moving like a tour is like a moving business for as many days as that tour lasts mm -hmm. whether it's five mm -hmm. dates or whether it's 30 dates if it's an arena tour it's mm -hmm. hundreds of people mm -hmm. traveling down the road and it, it's pretty exciting that's pretty exciting. oh i can imagine it being mm -hmm. so so fun you know to be a part of it. it's its own little community you yeah. know of like you said the riggers and the letting guys they have their own languages they have their own and, like and it doesn't it doesn't get delivered without the trades sure. like it doesn't get delivered without trades people i mean yeah. there's a there's electricians and there's carpenters and there's mm -hmm. you know all kinds of pe people that are needed on every every tour right yeah. so before we started too you also talked about some of those different titles i'm really curious to you know what we mm -hmm. talked about an agent versus a promoter versus a you know what are those roles and and again you you even said you know agents aren't super liked people sometimes i, I think that like it, you, you, i mean you could you can get so much music history now and see it like like yeah agents aren't the like primarily my biggest part in this uh in in the business for 30 years is acting as an agent so an agent represents an artist in their public appearances and you know that can transcend to movies and theater whatever i'm a, i'm only have ever worked in the music industry and most often in the in the as a representative for country music artists some other artists too over time um uh so we represent the artists so we negotiate their live performances and hopefully you're a good enough agent that you help strategize so that the live performances add to everything else that they do in their career and really in music these days live is the catalyst for everything mm. used to kind of be like the recorded product was the big catalyst, but it almost is like now that's sort of shifted. Yeah. Like if the live show's great, if people have seen it streaming, and then all of a sudden, you know, the product, and then they love the music. It's just, it's taken a, like, like it's almost like it's taken a little bit of a switch that if you're not in the business, it's hard to see. Mm -hmm. Like that is becoming, the live show is becoming so important. Mm -hmm. Like, and so you got to build it over time which maybe before you might have a hit record and all of a sudden you could fill up every arena in the world. Hmm. Which but I think is so different. awesome that it has 
gone that way? Because I think there was, for someone who doesn't know the music industry, there was almost this sadness of music becoming this thing where it's all cookie cutter. It's it's pounded out by a computer yeah. generated this. And then we have our Spotify and our Apple Music and we have all, you know, but the fact that the live concert is becoming more and more of a bigger thing for people to have this experience with a community of people, that energy that they would have. And I'm assuming that after COVID, probably there was a big well of being people being yeah. like, holy crap, we actually need art more than ever now to bring us together and to, yeah. I, I could be wrong in saying that, but no, I'm curious. I, I, think, I think we've seen that, you know, I think we've seen that after COVID people wanted to gather together and have an interaction. And then now I think we've seen a little bit of a shakeout, like some people still not coming back and more people coming out, but still some people not coming back. I think there's been a real shift mm. in our society. Just to kind of touch on it so that we don't give up the initial question, but so an agent represents right. artists. Mm. A promoter pays artists to play shows and promotes a show if you're a, like if you're a concert promoter. So if you're the concert promoter, then you're paying the artists. They're coming out, they're doing a show. You're setting up all the marketing, all the production, everything. You're putting it on sale. And you're paying them a certain amount of money, and then you're going to split afterwards mm. the profits at, at the higher levels. Sometimes it'll be a flat guarantee for different kinds of events. So a promoter. So he, earlier we were talking about markets, mentioning like who do they like the most? Well, if a promoter pays their bills, yeah, and they're giving out shows, and they're the guy signing the check. Well, people love. We all love the right promoter. But there's we the classic stories of the promoters that don't pay, yeah, and that's why they're hated. And then, right? and then there's some of that that is hated. Lots of people don't like agents because, like, my job is to leverage the best deal I can for my artist. If I'm just, re or if if an agent is just representing artists, because at times I represent both. Like I represent a venue, and I'm, um, like so, so, so their job is to get the most money they can or do the best deal. I like to say more than money for the artist, that might not be the most money. In fact, many often, it's not the most money you can get, but it's the most money that you can get so the promoter or the venue can be successful at the same time. Hmm. Because if they're both successful artists and promoter venue, successful at the same time, I get to book it again, so that means I get to make a living again, but my artist will make a living and that venue will be a good customer forever. Hmm. So having that synergies, and that's not always what's been looked at. So lots of agents are that way. And then agents, like artists, can be a bit fickle sometimes, as we all can. And like agents can get a bad rap because they're doing their best. And sometimes you make 100 calls and you only get one yes. And that can be very difficult because very often for the agency, maybe not agents in this world now, because, you know, it's changed since I started. But, you know, the agency doesn't make a dime till somebody plays. So we want it to play. And again, it's a really hard business. It's a very competitive business. You have to have an ego. There's big egos in it. So that's why sometimes they'll get a lot of agency stuff. I have a funny little saying that I've been trying to cultivate for years. Like I'm trying to take the F out of the agency business, right? The F U out of the agency <laughs> business to be more specific. So I've really cultivated this idea of like, okay, we could do it differently, right? Mm. So that's, that's the difference between agents and, and promoters. Now, a manager, like an artist manager, manages all of the business around an artist. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like, like the, 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 maybe the chief executive officer for the artist. Really, the artist is the chief executive officer. Mm -hmm. 
but but maybe their manager should be like their president that goes these are from my experience and what i have these are the shows kind of shows we should do this is the kind of music we should release does this fit in with what you want to do what you see as vision for your artist so they manage all the pieces of that mm -hmm. so those are kind of the three big pillars of different industry jobs as far mm -hmm. as on the industry side mm -hmm. and 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 again like it's like like the business has a bad reputation there's tough hard people in it i don't think even some of the really the worst of them that i've met not very many people are crooks in it because nowadays because of how it goes on but there are some people who are just taking advantage of people but generally speaking people get themselves in a bind like mm -hmm. it's a very high risk business hmm. today it's a high risk business for me today mm -hmm. right to keep to keep everything going and keep it pushing i gotta work hard i gotta hustle i gotta grind it out every day and it, and it's really hard so people get themselves in that position so it's not like they're always being scum but they have a inappropriate expectations of what can happen and that can happen at every level in the business every industry place but also for artists mm -hmm. they can have inappropriate expectations mm -hmm. if i ask 100 people to pay x amount of dollars for you and they all say no that's not my fault and i i can convince people to do a lot of stuff i'm pretty <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty enthusiastic yeah. about stuff Right. Well, when we started, our like Luke and I, we were in a little uh, little band for a little while. Fantastic and, band, and you, killer band. And I remember it was funny because then, you know, when we started to realize who you were, and then you were starting to throw a few little ideas at us about like, well, you know, it was it was interesting. So you would have, in theory, become our agent. Well, yeah, but but not just an agent. Like I've always kind of did this this kind of thing where I agent and pseudo manage, and why we okay. opened a management division. Yeah, really. I can because tell you've I, got this whole list. Because there. I because I okay. I did this I did this whole thing, I managed artists, almost, but without getting paid for it. So what I did is I put people who were way smarter than me around that, mm. and and built a little division out of it. And and we're in a fledgling place. But I'll tell you what, we got an artist that, that is gonna, light up this world. And mm. we have three artists we feel on our management side that could light up this world. Cool. And we're quite of ways down the road on a couple of them. Oh, I really appreciate that. You saying that. Yeah. <laughs> it was well, funny. You guys were great. You know, it's funny. I remember we when we played um, uh, something, some show, festival, and then yeah. festival. And I remember the funny thing you you said because uh, it was me and Justin. I think we're kind of more in the front. And then Luke was a little bit further back, sitting down. You know, ripping on his. He's like, "You got to get that Luke guy. You need to get him standing up. Bring him." Front, front and center, get a nice let him get, tell him to smile. Wow. He's got a great smile. Wow. Like, tell him to get an electric guitar face. You know, yeah. the guys with the yeah. face. Like, yeah. yeah, get a bit more well, stank. Get a, get a, face, get a stank face. <laughs> like, I mean, we've gotten to know each other over uh, at church and, and yeah. because of our kids at theater and school and stuff. But, like, yeah, he's pretty, you can be pretty stoic on stage at times. And, like, you smile. Look at that smile. Focus. That right yeah. there. I'm, I can make money off that smile the more. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of intangibles too. Do you find that there's always been intangibles in like as as a manager or when you're trying to promote things? Do you find that now with like the landscape, the digital landscape that those like when you said you're not always looking for the top dollar, sometimes you're going to tell somebody to take something with $0 attached yeah. because the intangibles are like 100%. Like you got to be thoughtful of that every minute of the day. Yeah. Like and that's the strategy that is brought into it. So it's not just about going out like when I, maybe when I first started it was just about going out and making book the kill show. so to speak yeah. book the show get the artist the money 
for me, it's always been about what money I can deliver to the artist, not my commission. Like, I'm always thinking about that. And maybe sometimes that has not been good for me. But, but like, like so, so I'm always so, I'm mean, still to this day excited about it. Mm. It can be a $100 deal. I'll get excited about it. If, if I know the artist is getting their money in their pocket, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but at the same time, it's like there's so many intangibles. Like, we'll do stuff for free if it makes sense or you'll do it for a lesser price or and there's lots of other things that play into it are we on tour is there 25 dates is there one date is it a one-off is it a soft ticket play compared to a hard ticket arena theater play like there's all kinds of things but yeah the intangibles and even for our business and and evaluating artists it's like so much different like when i started in the 90s say i don't remember the exact time i was looking through some of my stuff but like mid 90s uh, a lot of the earlier some of the early stuff I did but but like it's 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 just um uh I used to have to say oh we have a top 10 on radio and we got on much music or we got on CMT mm -hmm. and here are the three music articles and here's the one music article in each town because every town had a a music magazine, right? Whether it was Vancouver or whatever, or had a couple for the bigger cities. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That's what you, that was the matrix. And here's our sales for this year of records. Yeah. Right. That's all you had to know. Now yeah, it's, like it's Instagram a complex following sheet. It's 80 million, like Washboard Union has 80 million streams. Yeah. yeah. I, gosh, I hope I got it right today because I haven't checked. Frankly, it's yeah. probably a hundred million today or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like you got to keep up on it. And then you still have to bring in terrestrial radio or traditional radio stats you still have to bring all so all of these things play together so yeah you take a show sometimes because it might affect your it's streaming brand, numbers it's a, and it's a brand it might, play. it's it, deeper it's brand, brand play for and people yeah, yeah there's hmm. there's so much strategy to it yeah to understand how it works right yeah you've mentioned um big egos a few times and i'm just curious you don't have to name names obviously but like with people going from being blue collar tradespeople to high profile, very, you know, high fame, um, and getting into a musical career. Like what are some of the things that you have seen on the good and the bad side of like, you know, a blue, blue collar person that, that then deals with fame really well. And then one that maybe doesn't, cause there's going to be extremes on both sides. And some people get into, into music, uh, you know, to make money. It's a business decision and they're, they're more of a poser of being, having been blue collar. Um, like what are some of the, the stories around that? I've heard things of you know, people being really picky about what things are in their, oh, yeah, in their the trailer riders. on site and all those different blue Skittles, just yeah. blue yeah. Skittles. Yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. Anybody who's ever worked in the industry gets asked that question. But, um, I think first on the ego side of it, it's like, yeah, like, you know, I, I, and I don't, you know, I've worked primarily very closely with Canadian country artists. So even though they've been some of the biggest country artists in the world, uh, or country artists in Canada, like Pat Conroy, like was a big star in the 90s. Um, I got to launch, help Gord Bamford launch his career. Gord became a big star in Canada and still a big star. Uh, you know, I got to do some early dates. I worked with an agency that represented Johnny Reed for a while. I knew Johnny before anyone. I remember I met Johnny the first time, the first time he ever uh, worked at a CCMA or a showcase for the Canadian Country Music Association. It's the first time I ever met him. And later in years, I got to book. I wasn't his agent, uh, like I wasn't his responsible agent, but I got to work for the agency, and I was agency at 
where where we booked Johnny, and so I got to work with him. And and Ron is still Johnny's promoter in Canada, so I've got to work with some pretty big artists and some big American artists. And but but for Canadian artists, it's not like somebody's getting ten million dollars tomorrow, right? As they launch their Canadian country music career, mm. but you do see people that like too early on they're like all of a sudden come in a big star i had a young fellow who i really like he's still out there playing and he's not so young anymore but like i brought him an offer on a rodeo about 10 years ago 11 years ago and it was like a an offer he should have taken but he was like he i think he was posturing a bit because of our company and who we were at the time or whatever like and he's like i want bigger. more money yeah, you know, yeah, we should yeah. die get more money than that yeah. and it did the exact opposite of what i had thought he did it made me go Oh, well, they don't have it. It wasn't me. I would love to have gotten him that money. I would have made more money. But I'm like, oh, this is all the gig has. And he was kind of negative and a little bit condescending to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, then don't do the gig. Like, it's not personal. Hmm. But but then I never did another gig on him forever. And, like, he's got a guy who I probably would have represented in Canada for 10 years. Hmm. Like, because he was just kind of my sort of artist, a Canadian guy. I actually really liked him. But this thing, it was just he had this weird feeling. So sometimes mm -hmm. they get out of out of hand on it. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people who are just so generous and kind. Like, I mean, I don't know, like I don't know Reba McIntyre, but I've done quite a few some dates on her and Ron has toured her. And you know, like her, like she'll she's very sweet person to me, very nice backstage, like really like like in catering or whatever. Like she's a really sweet person. And you think, wow, she's like like really, she's a superstar. Mm -hmm. She's changed mm -hmm. country music. She's contributed so much to country music in Canada. And then you see somebody like that who's so great. And then you see some person who's like got a top 40 <laughs> hit in Canada. That's all of a sudden a big wheel. I'm like, yeah. And then we see it in our own business, in our industry. Like, I'm sure I was a little strutty and putting on the shine when I was my third year in the business. <laughs> right. I'm sure I was that guy. I'm a nicer person now than I was in the beginning. I just fighting to stay alive. I'm still fighting to stay alive in it, you know, but like, so, so that's, you know, so yeah, you see some of that mm -hmm. and it's kind of sad. And then sometimes you see people who just make so much money for a working, like any of us working folks. Cause I consider myself just a working guy. Like, like I don't make tons of money doing it the way I do it. I could have, and I can, but like I do okay. And I'm happy about my life. But like, I see some people who make a lot of money and they sure waste it pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And then it comes back on me because I'm the gen. Everything I do in this world is about generating revenue for people. Like, I, I kind of hate it, to be mm -hmm. honest, in some mm -hmm. ways about how that is. But then it kind of comes back to me. Like, if they've spent too much on building that new house at the lake, it comes back to me. Hmm. And I'm like, hey, we're going to do everything we can. We've got to do it all together. Mm -hmm. But like, so there's sometimes you see things where people get out of hand. Yeah. And it's fun. Like, I've seen some great hairy stuff. But like I've also been like I've toured with Gene and like not toured, but I've had a show with with Kiss up in Fort McMurray 12, 15, 13 years ago. It was the biggest show ever up there. And I got to hang out with with Gene and Paul for half a day here and there. I didn't spend the whole day with them, but they were around and I got to talk to them, sit on a couch and talk to them. And that was like for me as a kid growing up in that era. I was like, yeah. oh. I'm not starstruck ever, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. not against with musical acts. You Even know, when they had the face paint and everything on, paint, it was crazy though seeing them. It was, but it was surreal going like, I'm. Do they do their own paint? Uh, no, yeah. I don't think no. 
I don't know. I don't know. They're not. I'm not going backstage with Gene. That God. <laughs> I will say there was one. There was one time, like we were up in the arena in Fort McMurray, and it's an outdoor show, but the arena was the green room, and 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 I, just before they're going on, Gene and Paul come out, and they're like, "Hey, Paul." And I was sitting on a little couch like that, and Gene walked up, and he walked up, and he's pretty tall anyways, and he's tall with his boots, and his cod piece was about right there. <laughs> and I know that's a little off, but I'm like, <laughs> Gene, can you move that thing back? Please move. But they were so kind, like those guys. Like, you know, you hear all these stories about people being so obnoxious, but, like, they didn't have oh, yeah. to say, even though I, I convinced the community to pay the money to bring them to Fort McMurray. I got the money, I set up the show, did everything for my bosses that I worked for at the time, and I got the show up there, but they didn't need to talk to me mm -hmm. just because I did all that and just because I was there to help and make sure everything went good. They didn't have to talk to me, they didn't have to be kind to me, but mm -hmm. they were, and that blew me away. Mm -hmm. right? And there's, and I, like, I've worked with some sweet artists over the years, like, like, like our guys, like Aaron Goodman, he, He's actually a really sweet, sweet guy, and he's had some great success. Washboard Union, L like the biggest, the biggest um, uh, compliment I get from my buyers is like when one of our artists are on on their site, that they phone me and say they were the nicest people ever to work with, hmm. and and that's what I try to convey to them, and even how we do it is like. Let's be respectful and kind, especially when people don't deserve it, and then we'll deal with all the problems afterwards. You as the artist, you should go out. Be kind, phone me, yell at me at two o'clock in the morning, and then I'll go back and I'll have a discussion with who we have to discuss. What's interesting to me is that what people don't realize is like at every level, like if you, you hop on a job site or you work in any, jump into a Zoom call, if you're a dick right out of the gate, like nobody wants to play ball. So even as an artist, people just think, you know, like they can do whatever they want. And for some they can, and some are not kind people. Like there, there is that you know, reality. But there's also just this human reality that across the board, a lot of these people, they, they're where they're at because they were, they, yeah, they were talented, but then they were able to mix that with just being kind, oh, with being with wanting to play ball. Yeah. Like I had, we, last year, we just did a doc series that, and we had, we, we put um, uh, Alice Cooper on it. Yeah. And, and meeting him, like everyone, is like, well, what was it like hanging out with him and his wife and that kind of stuff? And you're like, it was like hanging out with you guys. It felt so good. Yeah. He had such great stories. He wanted to know, like, what's up? Hey, man, how you doing? Oh, he showed up in this, like, muscle car. It's like 60s um, uh, Mustang. Yes. And instead of being like, what's up, guys? You know, like, we came out and we all had bets, like, what's Alice Cooper going to show up in? And I was like, it's going to be a 70s muscle car. And then it was like a <laughs> 60s muscle car. And I came out and I was like, we had bets. We thought we were going to, I was like, I said 70s muscle car. And then he corrects me. He's like, it's 60s. You want to see under yeah, the hood? Yeah. And he pops the hood and he's like, wants to talk about it. He's like, yeah, they did awesome. this and they did this. And then, you know, and his wife, Cheryl's just the sweetest lady. And she's the one who kind of was like touching up his makeup for the interview and stuff like that. And then he wanted to hang out. Like he wanted I to. And, and what struck me in that moment is like, this guy would have been the biggest thing along with Kiss and these guys back in the 70s, 80s, whatever. Stadium act. And he's been, yeah, and he's been doing this for 40 years and he wants to hang out, shoot shit, shoot the shit and talk stories. Oh. And you're like, I love this guy. And you forget that th who they are. And then you're like, oh, this is why 
yeah. people want to well, show up Why it really worked, what the longevity was in his yeah. career. I, if I can interject an Alice Cooper story. Yeah, yeah. So Alice is one of my favorite rock bands from the day, and me and my brother Dan always loved him. And, uh, and the first time I met Alice was a bajillion years ago at a Juno's Award in, in, in um, Edmonton, I think it was. And I seen him at the Warner, I think it was a Warner party, and I seen him at the other end of the restaurant where this private party was, but it was a private party for lots of people yeah, during yeah. the Junos. Anyways, Warner party, and I and I I brought myself around. I could see I'm gonna I'm gonna run into him. Like I'm not a fan chaser guy. Like I think that's one of if you're gonna be in this industry, you, you got to give people their space. Mm. But I just couldn't help myself, <laughs> and so I ran around and I, you know we're drinking back in the day, and I and I'm like uh, I'm like hey Mr. Cooper, how are you? And he's like oh I'm good. I'm saying. Man, you know, me and it's so nice to meet you. Me and my brother Dan had every eight track tape you ever put out. And he laughed because he got the, because even back then it wasn't that long ago, but it was when, you know, eight tracks hadn't been around for 20 years by then. And he, he got the jokes of his age, right? So he yeah, was so yeah. sweet. And then fast forward a bajillion years later, I had booked him when I was at another company and just transitioning out of it. I had booked him probably six shows I think in Western Canada and I booked them in all the weird places. So I had them in Kindersley, Saskatchewan. I had them in Fort McMurray. When was this? I had oh I would say it had to be about 2012. No way. And like and so 2000, 2013 maybe. And and so I had them in all these weird little places that nobody said it could ever fit. And then it went through it. And I was at the Kindersley show and he was really sweet, but his tour manager, not a guy to be trifled with oh, and his yeah, tour manager we're a little bit late with breakfast in kindersley and his tour manager was like well that's it let's effing load this thing up and just quit we're not doing the show like breakfast is 10 minutes late right talk about ego breakfast is 10 minutes late i'm like oh okay and in front of his crew and my crew and there's lots of people in that little arena and i, and I said I, I i looked at this guy and the tour manager who's notorious and i said well if you're leaving i'm coming with you and everybody else looked around and they started laughing. And then he lightened up just enough so yeah. that breakfast came out. Everybody was happy and we did the show. It was great. That's but to awesome. be around Alice again, like to see that, yeah. like to get to do that, like, wait, like for me, it just blew me away. And I got to be on probably the last of the Western dates for Merle Haggard. And for me, that was probably the most impactful, mm. you know, second, one of the most impactful moments I ever had in the industry. You know, just being on tour with him, I had, again, a half dozen dates in Western Canada years, a number of years ago, and uh, probably 10 years ago now. And that was really, just getting to be around them, that was really, that was fun for me. Like, that was kind of like, wow, mm -hmm. I get to do that. So in all the stress of doing business, I try never to lose that. Like, when that artist, the first time that artist gets invited onto a main stage for full money, you know, the first time an artist wins a CCMA award or a Juno, the first top 20, I remember my first band, the first time I heard their song, their first song released on radio and got played at, at Country 105 in Calgary. I remember that day. I remember where we were. I think we were, the first time I heard it, we were driving back from a, from a bar in Okotoks or something from a gig and I heard it and I was like, wow. And still when I hear my artists on the radio or or streaming, and I, I still get blown away by it. I'm like, wow, that's an artist I got to contribute to, and I got to work with, and it's really, it, it, it's the thing that really drove me in the business. <laughs> that's really and, cool. That's awesome. What's the biggest show 
that um, that you that didn't work, that didn't happen, <laughs> that you tried really? Oh, I'll tell you, and I almost hate to say it. Oh, I I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say. It. I did have a so <laughs> I I had to, I had. <laughs> yeah, I gotta be careful. Wheels turn. I, in, anyways, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't actually tell you the artist, okay. but I had a tour of five, of five shows that I wanted to do. Kelowna, Victoria, Calgary, Regina, Edmonton, and we had this artist that had sold 150 million lifetime records, records, real records, wow. huge, selling out all over the world, right? Kind of a re reunion of the original lineup, really great. Totally. How many more things can you say so we can Google totally, this later? Totally, <laughs> I think, I, think totally, I know who it is. Totally outside of my element, like totally out of country and like out there. But I got some partners. So I got my partners. I've got some other partners. I've got the building partners. We're going to do this thing. And we bought it for Canadian dollars. We bought a UK act from an American agency for Canadian dollars. And I negotiated it down to probably 50% of what their original ask was. Like, I mean, we set up the deal. I only wanted to sell, I wanted to sell 1,300 tickets on a band that was selling out the, the Hollywood Bowl multiple, multiple nights. I wanted to sell 1,500, 1,800 tickets. I wanted to sell 2,000 tickets in Kelowna. Like, I, I wasn't overreaching, and it died. And, and in, in the end, I, we lost about $90,000. But in the end, my little part of my company... Uh, and thank goodness I had a good partner in Ron that helped me out a little bit. And but at the end of the day, the company paid all of that back, and and, and it all got paid out, and everything was fine. But that was like a reality check for me, and that was my like. So I've seen bigger deals go south, and bigger shows go bad for a whole bunch of reasons. But for me personally, that was like, oh my gosh, that hurts. Hmm. Like that's gonna hurt, hmm. right? But we got through it. I'm really proud of how we handled it. Again, yeah. not burning bridges. We got everybody out that we could, all our partners, as best we could, and we did the best job that we could, and, and we survived it, and we're here today. Yeah, you know? that's that speaks back to a, something you said a little while ago, um, with artists being kind of presented with different decisions: whether you want to do this show, is it not enough money or not? Am I too good for it? Um, so there's the the uh, comparison direct comparison to those of us in the trades that are trying to get jobs yeah and you're trying to decide what especially when you're getting started what kind of jobs am i going to do what kind of reputation am i trying to build what's in what things am i going to say no to what things am i too good for you know and trying to weigh all those things out um because you're going to have you're going to experience you know either extreme to some degree hopefully never extreme enough that's going to bankrupt you make you lose, lose the shirt off your back but in trying to get jobs in a competitive market, it's a oh, difficult thing to do. Yeah. And there's, there's lessons along the way where, you know, when you first get started and you're looking at taking on a job and you're having to bid, you have to quote on this project and you think, okay, this is what the expenses seem to be. I think it'll take me this long with this much help. Here's a little bit of margin. We can probably do it quicker than that. And you get into it. You get the job and you get into it. And then something takes a bit longer and something else takes a bit longer and something else goes sideways. And then the, you get the floor joist system layout and turns out there's like all these multiply beams yeah. that you have to put on all these unforeseen costs and, and time. And you get through this project and you're like, okay, yeah, I've got this nice project now that is, can go to my resume as this, this nice thing we built. But at the end of the day, I actually lost money. I was working for free for a week and I've, I've got to now pay my helper and, yeah. and you kind of take it on the chin and you're like, okay, so next time. 
how do I do this better? And, you know, you, you hear that saying, you can, uh, was you, you uh, rob Peter to pay Paul and you no do pun intended. <laughs> um, oh, I like the way that Paul's went. like, I like this one. <laughs> I like the way it went. Um, and, and that, and that is a real, real risk amongst tradespeople who have started their own businesses where it's okay. That job didn't go how I thought it would. I'm going to learn from it. I got, I got to keep food on the table. I got to take this next job. And so I'm going to take it. And then there's other bids that are competitive and it's starting to push the numbers that you know you need to get. And, you know, I've been through that in the past where I've ended up, you know, doing jobs for less than I, I should have and paid the price for it. Yeah. And uh, it's super, super hard. So you're trying to establish like, what's the reputation that I want? What kind of jobs do I want to be identified with? You know, am I, when you become sought after, say things are successful, now what's a respectful price? What's not insulting yeah. to the person? Like trying to navigate that, that realm is a oh. super complex thing. And I think as a tradesperson, you know, and an artist, like, and all of us, as we work, like you want to, you want to balance that. And there's mm -hmm. times when you'll be super hot, mm -hmm. right? Even mm -hmm. as a trades guy, you might be the biggest electrician in town for so many years, but there's going to come a day when you're not. Mm -hmm. And then have you create a good emotional equity with your consumers, with your marketplace so that you can actually, they'll be with you when you're down mm -hmm. as well as when you're up. Like right now, I would say that, and, and I don't know where it stands. It's really hard for me to talk about this, but I would say our brand is certainly bigger than it's ever been. We're on a cusp of being able to break into a whole nother level of everything we've done. We're either gonna, we're gonna take that challenge on and push forward, or we're gonna be calm and still add value and do a great things here in Canada. Mm -hmm. But we have a real opportunity and is it time to do it is it right to do it but but it was all the little interactions that built us to this place where we mm -hmm. have some you know lots of different things we can think of and i think that's like with a trades guy like why wouldn't you want to be at least on good speaking terms with every other con like if you're if you're a, a carpenter why wouldn't you want to be on good speaking terms with every other business that 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 yeah. hires a carpenter yeah. like why wouldn't you in your industry so that's something that i've tried to do and i think that's really important yeah. and we all have a bit of a career in this new modern era we all have our own little brand mm -hmm. so how do you build your own little brand even as like even if you're an electrician that's hired to a company how do you become that guy that people go oh you're my go-to guy mm -hmm. like i know i could if i get that guy on my crew i know it's gonna work and mm -hmm. and tell me if i'm wrong but it's seems from my friends in the in the trades like it can be quite transitional too like you know one company one company might need 100 guys this week and next week they need 10 and mm -hmm. then next week this other company needs 100 guys so is there there's quite a bit of transition mm -hmm. around yeah yeah there definitely can be it's it's interesting through all those times where you're trying to deliberate um what decisions to make what jobs to take which ones to walk away from um and trying to be, a, again, a good steward of the, the opportunities that you're presented with. And, you know, there's times where like, you, you got to decide to do the hard thing and see if this is a step that you want to want to take. And I know for me, like a lesson I've been kind of learning lately, uh, just in regards to my own self-discipline and kind of staying on track with what I've decided to do. Um, it's really hard to have the willpower to, to stick to things and have the self-discipline required to stay the course all the time. Um, whatever kind of discipline you're trying to develop. And one, one kind of psychological trick I've played on myself lately 
is I think I imagine myself um, in the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of myself in the future. What would my future self be proud of looking back? Yeah. You know, what decision would I make now that, would, that future me would be impressed with, would be happy about? And it's another way to kind of self-manipulate myself to make good decisions, have good self-discipline, so that I'm not going to do the lazy, easy thing that feels easy now, that later on, I'm like, I wish I would have invested when I had the chance in whatever that skill or ability or self-discipline was. Um, so that's a, a thing that I've put into practice lately that is like, you know, some days it's about getting out of bed as early as I feel like I need to. I'm like, I want to yeah. sleep. I'm tired. And I'm thinking my future self would be proud of you if you got your lazy butt out of bed and did what you said you were going to do yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> no, morning. no, that's, I <laughs> right? get that. I'm I curious that. With, with both of you guys, because I think in a way it's just, kind of on topic and you're both in a similar situation where you you know in the next 24 hours some huge different things could could come up um, with your business and and there's some possible big changes and I Luke I even know with you that there is probably people on the outside too that look at where you are right now and be like this is the time when you could you know you could just jump into it and get another facility and now is the what is the process of saying yes or no to those things. And how do you do that in a way where your future self isn't gonna look back and be like, why the hell did you do that? Now you're twice as busy and now, you know, was it like, what's what's the process and how do you guys do that responsibly, taking care of the people that are underneath you? And, you know, I'm, I'm just just curious of that. Well, I'll, I'll just speak into this so no one gets nervous. Uh, there's no big changes happening in 24 hours, but there's certainly awesome, Always and today, certainly there's lots of opportunities that we've had more in the last couple of months than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. We'll see great growth in, in 2024 and 2025. We just don't know all the directions that it's going into. And, and with great opportunities, there becomes there's actually stress around that. You know, the things you dream about, you're like, oh, well, we could do this. We could do that. Like all of a sudden when those opportunities come, how do I make that work for everybody and make it healthy? Mm. These opportunities, though a blessing, are also very stressful at times mm-hmm. to, to, to wander through them. So, so I, for me personally, I, I mean, I, I'm just prayerful about it. Mm-hmm. The actual way that my business works today was through prayer and fasting, except mm-hmm. for I'm not a very good faster. I'm more like <laughs> prayer and snacking, <laughs> right? if we want to bring that little spirituality into it. So the way it work, looks today is really like that. And then... And then so I, I do I do a bit of that and then just kind of figure out where it is. And it is this really balanced. Like for me, my people that work with me are family to me. I love them. I love my partners. Like I want nothing but the best for them. And I want my family to live indoors. Like and, you know, and have a good life and, and, and get to be safe. And that's all that that's that's my biggest motivation. So where does that what's the balance in that? Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes I think for me is like, like, I'm not always the best fit for somebody either, whether it be an employee or whether it be an artist or, or a, maybe a venue that we book all their program, all their stuff for. Sometimes we're not the right fit. So knowing when to let some of that go, too, is important, I think. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, those decisions, those are hard decisions. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I mentioned today, like, we'll probably, like, there's lots of opportunities out there. And we're just really navigating which way are we going to move? What, what mm-hmm. buttons are we going to push? What are we going to push up and... What's, what do we need to reestablish and relook at? It's, it, those are hard decisions. Mm. Yeah, the, what, come, what comes to mind for me um, 
as there's potential for growth and expansion and different things, um, it's super complex. But if I try to simplify it down to some kind of basic, basic practices, I think for me, I, as I see potential in the future, I think before I, first of all, I'm not going to grasp for it. I'm not going to try and force it to happen. First of all, I'm going to try to make sure that I'm as good a steward of my current situation as possible. Let's make sure what's happening here and now is functioning at a, at a reasonably good level mm -hmm. that I'm not going to overextend myself and shoot myself in the foot by pushing for something. So it's trying to continually better what we've got now, um, make sure it's secure and solid. And in doing that, when those opportunities come up, you can at least give them serious consideration because you've kind of got your foundation set. Mm. Um, so there's certain things like when I think about this business and the size that it is and the people that we've got, I'm like, is there potential to, to open another facility and expand and grow? Sure, there's potential. That, that's, that's definitely possible. Businesses do that all the time. The things that play into it, you know, from the grand scheme of things, is that is that what we want? Do we want to grow? Do we want to to develop into that sort of a business that has three, four times the employees and doesn't have that kind of boutique handmade feel? Or can we actually, in that scale, can we still offer that? Like there's there's those big questions of what would that look like in the grand scheme of things. Um, similar to Paul, um, I very much feel that there's there's something about it that is beyond me that is somewhat um, kind of divine. I feel like if I'm a good steward of my current situation and an opportunity presents itself, if I have the willingness to at least entertain it, look into it, and then try to be sensitive to see if that seems appropriate and if it fits, and then I get counsel from those around me, and um, we don't make any of those decisions, you know, knee-jerk decisions um, lightly. So here's here's one little... This is a great, I'm going to include you in this one, Mark. Sure. Here's a, a very simple little scenario that lays out um, a recent scenario that we went through with some decision-making. And there was like a, a big picture perspective and kind of a small picture perspective. And they both carried weight. So we're in the process right now of bringing in apparel to, our, to the store. So... Um, I'm not going to say what company yet. This will come out uh, fairly soon. But we've got an apparel company that we're going to be bringing into the storefront and selling shirts and hoodies and stuff. I'm super excited about. And so we wanted to get our branding on the on on the apparel. And so we've had our branding the same for a long time. And we're really happy with it. And so we were about to kind of place this order. And um, Dustin, who works in the storefront here, who's an artist and graphic design and all kinds of stuff. He was just fiddling around and he played with our logo a little bit and come up, came up with this really cool little hybrid logo. Because mm -hmm. we're trying to struggle, we're struggling with like, what logo do we put where? How do we design our design this to make it look right? Um, and how do we have like a little crest on the chest that's going to look good and be the right size and be part of our brand? And, and what do we put here? What do we put here? Move it all around. So we'd made some decisions and we're about to place an order. And then all of a sudden, this new little logo that Dustin played with came to light. Mm -hmm. Hey, look at this. What do you think? I was, I was just playing with it. I had this idea. And uh, I'm like, I really like that. What if we change and tweak it and flip this? And he's got his iPad out and he's editing it. And all of a sudden, we stumble over what looks like this wicked little logo that kind of combines our triangles and the A. And it was a totally new spin on our, our branding. And so I'm like, this is super awesome. 
Like, I really, really like it. There's something about it that's like, it reminds me of like 80s retro video game even. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it was really cool. So we kind of get all excited. And I'm like, we're about to place this order for these shirts. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, this isn't really my call to make on my own. I don't get to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, this needs to include other people. If I do this, I'm going to get myself in some hot water. So I call Mark. So Mark and I are business partners, and this is a big part of our kind of collaborations where our paths cross in the business. Um, I think I had my phone off. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. call Brad. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I talked to Mark. I'm like, hey, we got this idea. This is kind of come out of thin air. I know that this isn't the proper channels. This isn't how this is supposed to work, but it's a good enough idea and a possibility we should actually entertain this. Yeah. What do you think? And, and right away, I can hear Mark like, uh, and I'm like, what? What, what are you thinking? So we got to have this discussion. Sure. Yeah. He's like, well, we're trying to build a brand. We're trying to like stay consistent. You know, we're trying to put this out there in a consistent way that matches everything else. That is really cool. And maybe we could tie that in, but I don't think it's the right move right now. Mm -hmm. well, we're just putting this, this stuff out. And for me, I'm like, but look at how awesome it is. This could be like add to it. And so anyway, there was, there was, I wouldn't say it was a power struggle, but it was like, I was leaning pretty hard from wanting to do it. And yep. he was, he was saying from his side that I don't think this is actually the, the right decision for sure. it. And we're trying to like, you know, we're still fairly new and we're trying to put something that's consistent. That's a recognizable people know. So this isn't the, the right move. And so in that scenario, you know, Dustin and I are brainstorming. Mark and I are talking about it. He's talking to his team. I'm talking to my wife and we're like, we're trying to make the decision quickly because we're trying to put this order in that day. Mm -hmm. And this is like last minute. So all of that to say, like, here's a scenario where, this was not the correct um, way this should have come about, but it did come about. And I felt like it was worthwhile having the discussion, pursuing the idea, seeing if we do want to kind of throw a Hail Mary last second or not. Mm. And I don't think either decision would have been wrong, but I, after kind of leaning on those people around me that had more experience than I have, that are trying to build something that's consistent and cohesive, we ended up sticking with our current branding and not using that new, new logo. And that, that was kind of hard. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of struggled with that, but I had to like step back and trust. And, you know, within a day or two later, after, after having kind of stepped away from it, I'm like, no, I, I think this is the right decision. That was cool. And we could still do it. This isn't off the table. So there's a, there's a, you know, a fairly small inconsequential mm -hmm. situation where there was like, you know, people who are trying to see each other's perspectives, look at the big picture. What's the correct decision? Like this isn't a make or break it big sure. business decision. This is like a, you know, a graphic on a shirt, yep. you know, but that process was a really healthy one to go through. And it also led to some discussions that Mark and I had where it's like, Hey, how do we have these discussions better down the road? Mm -hmm. Not that this was bad, but we want to work on this. So like in business, that's super, super important to continually better those communications. And again, that happens in building all the time. You know, when we would be frustrated that a plumber came and chopped something apart, I'd be like, instead of me just bashing them to the super and tearing them a new one, I'm like, where is they? Are they on the development right now? Okay, let's get the boss down here. Okay, so we built this way to do this, to this. This happened. How did this happen? How do we avoid this next time? What do we need to do in the future to not have this be the case? Right. Um, and that only comes out of like giving respect to people, regardless of whether or not you'd be justified in tearing them a new one. Like they're a fallen failure of a person, the same mm -hmm. as, as I am. And let's try to be better together, um, mm -hmm. and support one another. And there's a humility that's required, but you know, at the same time, you can't just be a pushover. 
you've got to stand your ground. You have to have enough knowledge of your of your personal discipline to like give good content and good context to your position. Sure. And then hopefully you can find a solution together. Um, and so, yeah, that, that kind of synergy of like working together is, is yeah, so, think, so crucial. I think that's really important. And communication, like just getting better at communication. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like a, it's a bit of a thing because like we communicate so much now with so many people. Like I have 2,000 phone calls or text on my phone every month. Like it's a lot. Like it's, and I'm not lying. Like you can look at my bill. It's mm -hmm. nutty. But like communication is everything. And then in, in confrontation. And, and then I really love what you said about how you look back at yourself. And mm -hmm. did I make good decisions on that? Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of being a good steward. I've tried to be a very good steward of everything we've done. But it's hard. It's really hard to, to balance the vision and where we're at today and how do we get there. Mm -hmm. That is like, yeah. I'm lucky I have some really great people around me that are helping me with that. But that's been yeah. like our, our, the growth of our business over the last five years has been like mm -hmm. a wild ride. What does the ever so wise sage Paul of today, what does he say to the, the Paul of 30 years ago getting started and, <clears throat> and say, oh, buddy, you, 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 you got, what's the advice there? What are you telling to, your, to yourself 30 years ago? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Mm -hmm. And I think it would change. Mm -hmm. It could change later today. Um, uh, <laughs> After 12, uh, specifically. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, you talked a little you know, bit about I, the strut think, that you so had. This is, even. this is what I would say. Yeah. I would say, don't take them all so seriously. I don't mm -hmm. take myself so seriously. I, I'm very serious about the work I get to do for people and the value I get to add to their careers or to the interactions that I have in relationship. I'm very serious about that. Not very, I don't take myself too seriously. And then I think, but don't take some other people too seriously. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people I've known over 30 years in the business that maybe didn't start out as my friends, but are my friends now. And like, just like one step at a time, buddy. Mm -hmm. One step at a time. There is a little piece of me. It's a really funny time in my life, just at the age I am and where the business is. All lots of exciting things going on. But I do wonder, I had some opportunities to move to the States and work for some big companies when I was younger. There's a little tiny piece of me sometimes that goes, hmm, I wonder if that would have been a better place to be for me today. Mm -hmm. And maybe, but maybe not. Because I, I mean, I, I love so much of my life here, getting to be part of this community my wife, my children, where I'm at today is my perfect place. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. Everything is great. But I do, sometimes I would look back and I go, oh, maybe it would have been. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, maybe Nashville or LA would have been all right. Yeah. Right? That's a profound thing to, to, uh, to add as well, is that I, I find it incredibly valuable and important to make sure that you're content where you are. Yeah. And to, to stay away from the grass is always greener. Oh, like that's yeah. that's one thing. When I first started my company, I was putting flooring in for Sears. I was doing tile and hardwood and laminate. I remember my dad being like, "Are you gonna you're gonna be a flooring guy? Like just a flooring person? How, how long are you gonna do that?" And I was like, "Maybe forever." Yeah. I want to I want to be the best at it. Yeah. But I, I'm gonna try really hard to be content. I don't want to. I said to my wife all the time, I, "I want us to do our darndest to to live currently in a." position where we feel like we're thriving instead of coping mm -hmm. you know i don't want to always 
be feeling like there's there's more and I'm missing out and looking back, wishing I could have done better, done more. Like to be content in the here and the now, know that any job is just a job, that it comes down to the relationships with the people around us. That's what's really valuable mm -hmm. and be a, a good steward of the here and the now. And if opportunities come up and they're, they seem appropriate and Lord willing that they happen, great. But to be able to actually say no to those things because I'm actually okay with how things are. Yeah. Like is, is super, super important. There's yeah. something that I think um, stands out for me in, in both of your guys' answer. And it's something I'm not good at, but it's introspection. Like if you have time to stop and to think back or to think about where you're at or where you want to be, if you don't give yourself time, then you're going to get run over or make bad decisions in business or you're not going to, you know. Um, but if you have that time and you take that time to step back and have introspection over mm what your values are like for you when you said there's this pain line right of growth people are like well why don't you go and just like you know take take the bull by the horns right now well it's because they may not understand that there's kind of there's already a bit of a knife at the throat and then and and because there's a whole bunch of things that need to get figured out before you can grow and until you do that if you step forward you step into it mm -hmm. and then yeah. it hurts. It's painful. Yeah. You can't deliver on the product you said you were going to deliver on. You don't have the people, the relationships, the experience yet to kind of get to that level. So if, if you don't get the people in place or the products in place or the systems in place, you know, you can't scale yet. Like you're not ready yeah. to scale what you're trying to do. And sa same for you guys when you think about, oh, there's all this stress associated with 10xing whatever you're currently doing now. Yeah, that's the thing that not everybody from the outside out, you know, understands when they're looking at these things, like, why don't you just 10 X the business right now? Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Nice. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks Bill. So that's a good, that's good, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but there's that pain line thing. And then, and even with success, like, cause I've been a part of a few projects that have had like lightning in a bottle kind of success. And I, 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 my heart for those people is more broken than it is like, whoa, man, right on. Like you're making it. It's like, no, their families are suffering. They're gone all the time. It's like, oh, but he flies on a private jet. You're like, who cares when you're missing out on everything? Do you know how sad that person is right now? Yeah. Do you know how sad he is that he's not around? I, I remember we did this festival once and um, they're not huge, but like Switchfoot guys. I've always loved yeah. John Foreman. I love John Foreman. And um, the Switchfoot guys had like flown in and I was walking with John and his brother and they, there was like a sadness on them. They were like tired. Their kids are stuff going on at home. They've got wives and kids. I'm like, oh, you're away from everything right now. And it's like, yeah, of course, they, they, they get to do this. This is amazing. And they had such good attitudes about it. But at the same time, I remember being like, hey, when are you guys heading home? And they're like, oh, we're just like red eye after the show. Flying home. Yeah. I just want to. Be, I want to be home to like wake up for my kids in the morning. Kind of yeah, thing. that's nice. And it was like that was the response from them. And everyone's like, "Oh, these rock stars!" And then they step on the stage, and you're like inspired. You're like, "Whoa!" They just like bring the crowd, and they yeah. like raise the, you know. Oh, I think it's 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 incredible, and I think we all do it in certain different ways in our lives. But the creative spirit that goes on, and and programs. And earlier we touched on this, like how artists want weird things on their ride. Or yeah. well, it's because touring is really hard. Yeah. Like, and, and if you're a baby band and you're, you don't get any rider stuff, it's like find a grocery store on the way into town, get to the venue, haul in our own gear, set our stuff up, try to find something to eat and then go on. That's why riders become very important because the travel time becomes very serious and it, they're working, they're out there working and mm -hmm. it's hard work because they both have to be up and do the show. And then there's lots of other 
details of life and there's lots of people the bigger the act the more people around them but it's hard work they're actually working out there mm -hmm. and so i think it's you know that's part of it so sometimes it is it's a long time on the road right i mean i feel that for myself i don't go out as much as i used to but you know if i go out for five days even on business trips where i'm away for a week or you know or or i'm on the road with a band when i was doing more promoting myself hands-on it's like you'd be out there on a road you'd be driving all night you'd be like, and it's like you're moving. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes red parties are put on the rider so that somebody knows you read the rider. <laughs> sometimes there's things put on a rider mm -hmm. just so that they know they can walk into a venue and go, oh, yeah, somebody's paying attention. I don't remember who it was, but it was quite a bigger star that we booked from the U.S. that, like, they wanted a picture of themselves in their dressing room at every <laughs> show. And I thought that was really weird. And, and I talked to the tour manager about it. And this was quite a few years ago. They said, yeah, it's because, like, then we know you read the rider. Mm. It's like, wow, that's cool. That's good to know. That's right? really cool. So, a weird thing, though. I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd make it something else. I'd, that like, would, I know, I'd go for the red smarties yeah, yeah, over exactly. a picture of myself. It, it was kind of weird, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, so there are things like that. But I think that all of those things, like all of this, plays into all of our lives mm -hmm. so much, right? Like, yeah. just like we yeah. all have to act in a certain way, right? Well, I, I was gonna say, like, I think um, it's interesting what you know when we're talking about introspection. And some people can get there just by them being a wise person and they can just they think that way. But for, I would say, probably majority, something has to fail. Something has to happen in order for them to actually look at my life and look at and go, oh, wow, I, I can't actually run at this speed. you know. And I think all of us here in the room have experienced that in some way or another, not from just being wise, but like, like for me, it was like a, a physical, mental breakdown and then reevaluating life you know and i know we've we've experienced uh different variants of that and for you i'm a little bit curious talking about how you've literally heart has stopped died whatever you know and that forcing you probably to be introspective what's important what what is that like for you to be working in the business and having that stress but then having this physical thing take you right out of the the game i was i was probably in the business for 10 years and partnered in a company for probably eight of those years uh, when I had uh, a cardiac arrest. Uh, and and Sonia and I, we argue about when it was, whether it was 38 or 36, but it was like around that age, mm. sometimes between I was 36 and 38, tremendous issues in my family around it. And, uh, um, and yeah, it shut me right down. And it did two things. That changed me quite a bit, but I was, I've kind of been the way I am. Like for people who've known me a long time, you know, I was at my 40th school reunion not very long ago, and 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 like people said, you know, you're kind of the same guy you were back then. I'm kind of the same. Mm -hmm. More a big part of me, I've changed and grown, and I certainly hope I'm a nicer and better, wiser person. But I'm kind of the same. Yeah, with my with my illness is like the th the big thing that it did is it it did two things for me. It reestablished my faith yeah. because I had a bit of an issue. I had a bit of a I had a thing that happened, but I was, I was actually had become uh, more engaged in my faith and became, when I went into the hospital, I became celibate for a number of years. And, and I had engaged in my faith as a single guy in the business and, and not many people knew about it because actually there's not that many people around it in my business that are talk about faith much. On the Canadian side, we're very conservative. And then when I got sick, I really realized that, that every day is a bit of gift today like there's lots of challenges for me on any given day and in all of our lives 
but that every day is a gift. And so it changed this little thing about me. And then that I was grateful uh, for the time that I had and the people that I had around me. Mm. You know, when I was in the hospital, they kept me in the hospital for five, almost four or five weeks. I had, I kept a journal during that time and I had, a, I had 135 visits by about 65 people. Wow. One of them was my wife who came with another friend of mine from church who had met me a couple times but never really met me. And I made a journal entry on that day that she came to see me. I said, my friend Mike came to see me and she brought, and he brought a gal from church named Sonia. She was nice. <laughs> okay, though this is previous, you weren't married. We weren't married. You were 38 years old, not. 36 or 38 years old, not married. What does Mrs. Byro say? She says 36. Okay. <laughs> so it probably is. Probably 36. But, and, and, and so anyways, but, but so, so even out of that thing, like out of this yeah. great tragedy, it gave me new vision for life. And, and it's interesting right. that you guys talk about this today. And we brought it up because I don't talk about it very often anymore. Um, even today, like, you know, a lot, lot of challenges and a big day for me and big weeks and big months, a big year for me. It's, it's to go back to that thing and just be grateful for today. Mm. And like you talk about yeah. what do I have regrets or not have regrets. And, but where I got to today is exactly where I needed to be. Like mm. it, it's exactly where I need to be. Is it easy still? No. I was hoping, to be honest. By my age, it would be easier. Not any easier. <laughs> no. It's still uh, a fist fight. Like, I'm still yeah. going through all the stuff I go through. But more people are nicer to me now. That's all. That's great. More I mean, that's yes. helpful stuff, though, too, because I hear people who are 10 years ahead, and I always would ask questions like, oh, what's it like? What's it like? And a lot of the times what I hear is, like, just bigger problems. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, your burn rate right now, it costs you 50000 a month to function. They're like, yeah, for us, it's like 500000 and you're like, oh, you have the burden to have to have 500000 in cash in hand to pay your people every 30 <laughs> days. You're like, or million. Like some of these companies as they grow and people don't always, you know, appreciate that or understand um, yeah. that no matter what you're chasing, life's just going to be hard at every level. It's just choosing, yeah. you know, what the hard is going to be. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you is like Sonia and I had a discussion uh, this morning over a coffee and we're like, like everything in our lives, like it just, it changes, but we, you know, we keep getting through all the good stuff and all the bad stuff together. And it's really, we feel really grateful. And I, and I'm, I'm quite content for me in a lot of ways, but I'm not totally content for my company or my staff or my artists, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm never complacent. I think that one similarity that I see in myself, and I don't compare myself to Ron very much because he is a, like he's a, I mean, he, it's a whole nother thing that he's done and he's been so successful. But I will say this, it's like still to this day at his age, he'll get up and call me and want to go to work. And I think that we both have that work ethic. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like it's because, you know, I, was a, I certainly didn't go through what Ron's family went through. But I come from a pretty, you know, uh, pretty uh, modest family you know, where parents were sick and my dad passed away young and, you know, so I still have that. I'm never complacent, never complacent. Like I'm chomping at the bit to finish a deal right now that's in my head that's mm-hmm. not going to make us much money. It's going to make us 900 bucks, but it's going to be a lot to the artist that gets it. And it's going to be a lot to our company. It's going to make sure that today is, okay, we put our first check on the board for today that we're going to get through today. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's, I'm never complacent about anything. So that's, Mm-hmm. Part of getting older. Yeah. I hope there is a time 
when I feel more relaxed about some of it too. Mm-hmm. You know, and honestly, it, I, I never worry really about mm-hmm. me, but I worry about my family. I worry about my staff. I worry about my artists, worry about my partners. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. you and I talked about it. This is years ago now, but just on the, not, not that we're talking retirement or anything like that, but you know, we're not getting any, any younger or anything like that. I remember there was a, there was, I don't know if this was a dream that you had, but there was the potential possibility talk of, you know, there was this old church that's down close to the lake. And, and there was like, all I wanted to do was buy that church, man. Yeah. And like, and and you're, and Sonia, you guys got to have like this rib joint live music. (laughs) That was it. Like, seriously, I I know the spot. It's a cool, right by, right in, uh, right beside my sister's house in lower town on Butler. Like, is that, is that ever a, does it did that cross your mind at all? Is that ever like a retirement Listen, kind of like I long as Sonya doesn't see this. If somebody <laughs> like if one day I'm sitting there and I've got some partners or some people who want to open up something really interesting in the culinary space, I'm a hundred percent in. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent in. I'm not <laughs> sure Sonya would be, yeah. but I would be. I would be like my, you know, I either want to be a I want to retire to be in a greeter at Walmart or actually have my own joint, one or the other. Yeah. I don't care which. Yeah. That's awesome. I just think it'd be nice to talk to people during the day. Like people, a friend of mine came up to me the other day in a store and I hadn't seen him for years. And he is so kind to me. His name's Peter. And he was just so gracious to me. Like when my old friends tell me nice things about myself, I just want to cry because I feel like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, don't feel worthy about it. But but like he was so kind to me and he said he's retiring. And I'm looking at him like, you're too and young to retire yeah. buddy you, let's get you working like i don't ever want to retire yeah good sign you know like i love what i do mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it so yeah. you know good days are bad you gotta put up with it yeah uh well let's probably wrap it up there that's a, a lot of a lot of fantastic takeaways um yeah i think for all of us and what we're doing it's like just do the do the next thing and uh don't stress about tomorrow try to get prepared for it and uh yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for coming to share mm-hmm. your perspective on, on life and business and uh, hearing your story. It's, it's Thank fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. This has been like therapy for me. Can I <laughs> oh. you guys for another day, two weeks <laughs> for from now? Because this has been good for me. This oh, has been really good for me. Thank so you good. so much. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Mark and Brad. And yeah. uh, we'll catch you all next time. Thanks, everybody.